0: This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Harry's, the new shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door, all at a fraction of the price of other razors. Visit harrys.com for the $15 starter kit and get $5 off when you use the promo code SPOILER. The following podcast contains explicit language. Previously on the Serial Spoiler Special...
1: The title of this episode was The Deal with Jay.
0: I love this episode. You
2: can't get everybody. Some people say no to the interview, Jay.
1: One of the really impressive things about this episode is the way it humanized him.
2: Juries love it. They love someone to get up there and say, I saw the person who did it. And there he is.
1: Where was where was Adnan's lawyer?
0: I gotta know more about this defense lawyer. I was totally underwhelmed by the Nisha call. Who
1: the hell would he be talking to? That's a huge third person that no mm-hmm. one's ever mentioned. It was written in pen, and that was different. These guys are so fucking wily. You could totally misremember something if you add importance to it. Hi, I'm David Haglund, a senior editor at Slate. Welcome to the spoiler special podcast about Serial, the multi-part investigative series from This American Life. Every Thursday we talk about the latest episode, and every Thursday I'm joined by Slate staff writer Katie Waldman. She joins me from our DC studio. Hey, Katie. Hey, David. And our guest this week is Slate's TV critic, Willa Paskin. Welcome, Willa.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Today we're talking about episode nine, called To Be Suspected. But before we get started, a little housekeeping. As I'm sure you heard, Serial is not producing a new episode next Thursday. They're taking the week off for Thanksgiving, but we're going to release a special extra spoily edition of the Serial Spoiler Special on Wednesday, in which we talk about the discussions that are happening outside the show itself, largely on Reddit, but also elsewhere. Make sure you subscribe to the Serial Spoiler Special on iTunes so you can get this special episode on Wednesday before you travel for the holiday. All right. So this episode was a little bit different, I think, from all of the ones that preceded it. Uh, there was the request for donations, which maybe we can talk about later, but also then before the sort of episode proper started, Sarah Koenig jumped in and said, I have to tell you, I've learned three things that, you know, I didn't know before.
0: I mean, this was a fascinating development for the show. It really shows the story evolving in real time and sort of interacting and in it's It's out in the world in this kind of exciting, hopeful way. But um, the first thing that happened is this woman, Laura, got in touch with Sarah and said, look, there was never a phone at Best Buy. I know Best Buy really well, and we can get into the reasons why exactly later. Um, But she says, definitely no phone. That 236 call um, could not have been from the Best Buy parking lot. So that was the first thing. Uh, The second thing was um, this woman, Summer, who was a friend of Hay's, um, also got in touch with Sarah and said, we were both uh, managers of the wrestling team, and I talked to Hay. Um, in the afternoon, after she was supposed to be dead, according to Jay's timeline. So those are two things that really cast some doubt onto Jay's testimony.
1: Right, and then the third thing was about uh, the call that came when when uh, Jay and Adnan were at uh, the woman whose name is not actually Kathy, but <laughs> who they're calling Kathy. Koenig now thinks that uh, the call that that produced this sort of these comments from Adnan that seemed suspicious to Kathy may have come from Aisha Pittman, this friend, just saying that the police were looking for, um, you know, friends of Hay. They were looking for Hay. They were going to talk to him. And he didn't, you know, so he's saying something like, well, what do I do? What do I say?
0: And also he's high out of his mind at this point, too. Right,
1: and apparently he's got weed in the car. Uh, So it's suddenly, you know, this sort of potentially ominous, mysterious call that may or may not have involved a third party to the crime. You know, maybe it's just a friend calling, and he was nervous about talking to the cops. And I will say, I mean, when we talked about that moment before, Mike Pesca made the point, look, that could be anything. Uh, I wouldn't place too much faith in it, but I... uh, admit, and people who have listened to, to us discuss it before know, I, I found it troubling because it did seem like something strange was going on there and Caffey had no reason to implicate him. But but now, I, I, you know, it, it doesn't seem that important.
2: You know, the thing about them, about Sarah sort of putting these three facts out at the very front, framed this entire episode, clearly there's something that's changed in the telling of this story, which is that they set this narrative engine in motion very, you know, there was like three or four episodes where it was like, we're going to get to the bottom of this true crime. And then there's been this almost like pause, right? We set this engine going. You're expecting us to continue to find out all this information. And you know what? Like, we're going to explore. And we actually maybe don't have that information. And we're going to sort of peek around with these other people and do these things that actually, I think, often feel really narratively unsatisfying. Um, and, my, and the feeling that in this episode, she was like, here are these facts And I'm just going to lay them out here because I'm just this whole the police timeline to me is now totally bogus. And I actually don't have to spend that much time explaining that this these make this more confusing. And I'm just going to get on to the character stuff.
0: I don't really think she just lays it out, though. I mean, what was really fascinating to me is this is one of the first times that she's taken three data points and extrapolated. You know, she says, I'm going to speculate for a second. And I thought, great, she's going to speculate, uh, which is maybe a problematic response. But, um, you know, she said, I'm done considering the 236 call. And it was really satisfying for me to hear her come to some kind of conclusion to like put a frame around these data points. It's so
2: funny to me to think that you think that she hasn't been framing all of the evidence (laughs) that's come before, because of course she has. I mean, I think she hasn't been explicit, like, I don't buy this, but every piece of information she introduces, she has a point of view on it. Like, she's like, I trust this, even though maybe I shouldn't, or I don't trust this, even though maybe I should. Like, she complicates it, but you get the gist. And I think sort of what's so clear from just listening to the show or just even what you're saying about Kathy is like we're even as we know like the whole point of the show is you cannot people are not as reliable as they seem like we're just to, we're like we're listening to you you seem reliable it's impossible not to believe you
0: yeah so i thought actually that this was the first episode where she really put her cards on the table in terms of supporting adnan like Before, I thought she was sort of having everything up in the air and trying to be a careful and considered spectator of everything that was happening. And this was the first time that it became clear to me that she really believes Adnan. Did you guys feel that way?
1: Well, she's actually very explicit about this, and I wouldn't put it quite that way. It was a very striking moment. At the very end of the episode, she says, I confess to having reasonable doubt about whether Adnan killed Hay." And she specifies that when she says reasonable doubt, she doesn't mean in the legal courtroom sense, but she genuinely doubts whether he did it, which is not the same thing as saying, I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. But she says, I really am not sure. And that, that did and it, was, <laughs> it was odd that it was framed as a confession, sort of stepping right, out and yeah. saying, look, here's where I, where I am. But here's it's so clear
2: she's had reasonable doubt about him since the beginning. Right. Yeah, I would
1: have thought so. But I thought, I mean, the thing that struck me about that opening and the here are these three things is that it it sort of divided this episode uh, very uh, neatly is too strong a word, but uh, in a very noticeable way between the details of the case and the character study. And these are two tracks on which the show has, has sort of been moving. Sometimes, you know, they come together, sometimes they diverge and how we respond to the show has a lot to do, I think, with what we're expecting from it in those terms. Mm-hmm. Are we expecting it to solve this crime? Are we just expecting to, to learn who these people were and to get into the messy psychologies and motivations? I
2: think actually also it's interesting. This is not just true for Serial, but I think for all narratives, there's like signposting you can do for consumers of it that helps make it more or less frustrating. Mm-hmm. Like if you announce we're not going to resolve this. Like, you know, this is like the the thing that happened with the killing on AMC. If they had been like, at the end of the first season, you're not going to know who the murderer is. Like, nobody would have been mad. And this was the first episode where I felt like they did some signposting that way, where it was like, I have to give you these facts. This is the crime part of this case. And this whole other part is not going to be that. And those of you who are listening expecting us each week to kind of really make a huge jump on the on the true crime part like that's not going to happen so just know that that's not going to happen and i think that that was actually it made for me the episode much more satisfying than for example like the j episode had been which i felt like sort of promised that it was going to make all this progress on in a crime way and really only made progress in a character way
1: hmm well, we should really get to what Sarah Koenig herself described as the episode proper, which is all the stuff that we heard from Adnan, as well as a little bit more this week about Heyman Lee. Uh, but before we do that, let me tell you about our sponsor. This serial spoiler special is brought to you by Harry's.com. The month of Movember is here, as you may know, if a lot of guys in your office are suddenly sporting giant mustaches, or perhaps you're sporting a giant mustache. Well, Harrys.com is the official razor partner of Movember, and whether or not you're growing a mustache now, you can get a great shave by going to Harrys.com. How is Harrys able to get you a great shave at a much lower price? Well, they bought a blade factory in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century, and the lower price comes from getting rid of the retail middleman, so you buy from them directly. I know that Harry's will get you a great shave because I've used it myself. I particularly enjoy their new foaming shave gel, which has this very pleasant scent to it, which, you know, smells like you're taking care of yourself, but you still feel kind of rugged in some way. I don't know how they do that, but it works. What's not rugged is the price. Their starter shave set starts at just $15, which includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or, what I recommend, the foaming shave gel. Shipping is free, and satisfaction is guaranteed. So go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in our code SPOILER with your first purchase. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S, dot com, and enter coupon code SPOILER at checkout for $5 off, and change the way you shave. So all of the things that we've been talking about so far, these different details about the case, that was presented to us as additional to what was the episode proper. and And the episode proper was really devoted almost entirely to Adnan and largely to his life now um, with a bit also about Hay and even a little bit about her family. What did you guys make of, of all of the things he told us about himself and his life?
0: Well, I think structurally, first of all, this was like a very clear answer to the last episode, right, where the burning question was, why did Adnan stay silent? Why haven't we heard from him? Where is his voice? We heard from Jay, sort of. Um, And it was just like this big Adnan-shaped hole in the narrative. And I felt like this episode was trying to be a counterweight to that and to sort of resolve that question to, and just devote the entire episode to hearing from Adnan and I thought that was actually a really great narrative move
2: I thought this was like just so interesting as a story in this way that it was like we're finally here where we're just going to give you this whole episode like about this guy and it's really not meaningful like to the case particularly and it's maybe not even um, that meaningful to like what you think of him because we've been hearing from him and he's sort of It's not like what we heard this week changed my impression of him from what I've heard in his sort of phone conversations with Sarah previously. But it did sort of, like, expand it hugely. And we're just Mm -hmm. at this moment in the show where it can just – this is the person. Like, this is is what the criminal justice system has done to this guy. And I think that the comparison, like, I always make, obviously, is to television, to fictional television. But, you know, there's all these fictional television programs that are about horrible crimes. And, like, the person who makes it is always – Claims that it's not, they don't want it to just be about the crime. They want it to be how it impacts everybody involved. And that, you know, sometimes they do that effectively or not, usually not that effectively. And here, the show suddenly is like, was doing that, I thought, extremely effectively. I mean, not even that what has happened to him is so particularly harrowing for prison, but it was like, here is this real portrait of this person, and you're just going to like listen to it and it's going to sink in. And that is sort of not what I was, when the show started, what I was expecting. I mean, maybe it was, what I, but like expecting sort of for episode, this episode to sort of be about.
0: Right, like all those sort of surreal scenes of it's early in the morning, the cops come to his house, they say, put your clothes on, and his brother is crying in the corner and and the the interrogation scenes. I mean, it, it seems like something that you'd expect to hear or watch in a movie or on a TV show. And it's just kind of crazy to you know, realize that it's real.
1: I liked that this episode felt to me pretty explicit about the fact that all of the stuff we're going to hear from him and all of the, the stories that he's telling, the details of his life that we're learning, really have n- nothing to do with his innocence or guilt. Um, you know, they they paint a more complex portrait of this person who some people think committed this crime and some people think didn't. But there's even that that moment where she mentions that Jim Trainum the, uh, the investigator that they've hired to, to look into some things says, you know, disregard all this stuff. He's referring specifically to the way people, you know, acted just afterwards. And we heard about that. And he's, he's told us, look, n- none of that really matters. Well, because
2: Sarah doesn't believe that. I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. It's like she doesn't believe that you can't tell the truth about somebody. Like, that's the whole point. Like, maybe she'll get there, but that's, like, the premise of the show. And she keeps, like, she thinks that if you talk to somebody, if you look them in the eye or talk to them on the phone for 30 hours, like, you will know enough about their character that you will really, like, know something about them. And that, I think, is something we, that is a, a human bias. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's, like, a oral bias. And that's, like, sort of what is happening with the show. But all these, lo- everyone who knows about crimes and says that's not true and it's like flies so in the face of not of felt logic you know or felt experience
0: right and david actually you said you think that she's painting a complex portrait of a non do you do you really think so i mean because my sense is the situation that he's in makes it a complicated analysis when we're trying to figure out where we stand with him but her you know, her brushwork with Adnan is he's kind of an angel, right? Like, he's totally charismatic, and he is kind, and he's adaptable, and his letters to Krista are so sweet. I i actually sort of get this treacly sense with, with him um, sometimes. I'm not sure if you guys agree. I don't know. I guess
1: I hear all of that stuff in the context of this person may have murdered a teenage girl 15 years ago, I- and that hasn't been ruled out.
2: Mm-hmm. I just, I agree with Katie. Like, I just... I think she believes him. I mean, she says that she believes him. And so. Well, she says that she
1: has doubt. I still think I'm still cling to that distinction. She doesn't say, I don't think he did it. She says, I sincerely doubt whether or not he did it.
0: So I felt like that was her hedging, (laughs) you know, like she was saying, I'm going to minimize like I'm going to do the I'm going to state the very least um, passionate I feel about this. And she's actually sort of farther on the spectrum towards belief but i don't know
2: and then also there's just like the framework of this show which is like obviously she you know she came into it and she knows more now than she did but for her to think he did it at this point in the series it would just it couldn't it would have to sound so different you know she would have to be lying all the time every time she spoke to us
1: no but (laughs) she doesn't think he did it she's not sure she's genuinely not sure
2: I think that, I think the not sure, I think that's not, she's not sure, but like she would not convict him.
1: Sure. But that, right. She would, would she set con- him free. Yes. But see, this is, this to me is the whole point of the show at, for me at this point and why I think it's interesting and why I'm okay with the fact that I do think we're going to end in uncertainty about who, about who did it is that the question of whether or not you should convict somebody is can be distinguished to some degree from whether or not you believe they did it, right? And we talked about this a bit last week. The case, it seems to me so far, from what I have learned about it, was not strong enough, was not strong enough to convict this guy. And that is separate on some level from whether or not you believe he did it, right? The, The point is, if you have a reasonable doubt, you should acquit, which they did not do. And and to me, Sarah Koenig is saying something actually a little bit stronger than that. Not only would she have acquitted, that's clear, but also it's not just right. that she honestly believes maybe he didn't do it, right. which is different mm-hmm. from saying, I believe he didn't do it. This actually reminds me of, of uh, this question of religion, which I was thinking about because mm-hmm. it came up in this episode talking about Adnan and his religious faith. And he says that... He feels he feels guilty on some level, right, which was a very striking moment. He feels responsible in some way, even as i didn 't murder Haman Lee. But if I had been a good Muslim, none of this would have happened, yeah, and maybe just because i I grew up religious myself, that made so much sense to me and was really. Uh, moving for me. I, I mean, in terms to me the... it
0: was it was moving in far as in one light it could be perceived as this bout of tragic victim blaming, you know, um, either that or just sort of a window of candor within the lie that he that he's built.
1: Well, I'm sure that's the thing. I'm sure some people will take it that way and say, oh, why does he feel guilty if he didn't do it? Clearly he did it. But, but to me that right also
0: felt
2: like even the relig- religious stuff even aside, also so human, which is like mm-hmm. anytime any he's just been like, I could have not been, I could have done this many different things and this wouldn't have happened to me. Which is like, you know, anytime anything horrible happens, you're like, if I just wasn't there, if I just, all of that seemed so human. Like, again, it's like the Monday morning quarterbacking about like whether doing this makes you seem guilty or (laughs) makes you seem innocent. Mm -hmm. To me, I was like, that just actually makes me think like you've had so much time to think about this.
1: That, that point about The Things That Make Someone Feel Human, uh, reminds me, we should really talk about the way that Hay was described in this episode. A lot of people have written to us, and I'm sure people have seen uh, this discussion online or had these conversations with friends, where is Hayman Lee and where is her family in the show? Why are they not talking about her more? And so, for instance, we got an email from a listener named Liz who wrote... Do you think it's a journalistic choice of Sarah's to have such a stark lack of focus on Hayman Lee? There was talk of her diary and her new boyfriend early on, but since then she's barely been mentioned. I think more analysis of Hay's relationships is crucial if we are supposed to be considering alternate theories of the crime. We did hear a lot more about her in this episode, but it wasn't presented in the context of alternate theories for the crime. It was just, yes, this is the person who was killed, and this is, on, this is the reason that we're talking about this at all. And and Koenig went out of her way to say, look, I really, really tried to find the family. At one point she says that she has never in her 20 years of journalism tried harder to find somebody, but was unable to. And then she also acknowledges, I think she's referring to this thread on Reddit that was uh, started by someone who was apparently her, her brother, um, acknowledging that, he's aware of the show, acknowledging that they tried to reach out to to him. And this that seems to have been the first time Koenig knew that they were aware of what they were doing. Um, so she wasn't able to talk to any family members, but she did talk to other people. And then she, she gave us these details about her. You know,
2: I found that section extremely poignant um, for a number of reasons. One is that it was still such a vacuum it's like the the details that she had collected about hey like she likes the Dallas Cowboys because of the colors and she's light and she's funny and she's a good friend are while sweet are so nothing still compared to just the fact of like Adnan and his voice they showed us what they have and what they have is not very much and you know I like I I, you sort of my favorite, although it was sort of so heartbreaking moment in this episode, is, you know, they play, they don't play, they read the transcript of his mother's testimony, you know, or not, you know, her testimony at the trial. And it's, it's about this Korean proverb, which may be a total cliche, if you're Korean, about how, you know, you bury your parents in the ground, but you bury your children in your heart, which just is not an, an American English proverb and is so moving and so descriptive and so
3: painful. And I mean, I, you know, I was listening on the subway, and I, of course I teared up. On this day, through a translator, Hay's mother speaks. She tells the court about her daughter. She tells the court about a Korean proverb that says when parents die, they're buried in the ground. But when a child dies, you bury the child in your heart. Quote, when I die, when I die, my daughter will die with me. As long as I live, my daughter is buried in my heart. I don't know where to hear her voice. I don't know where to touch her hand. I would like to forgive Adnan Sayed, but as of now I just don't know how to do that and I just cannot do that right now.
1: So so I agree well, I found that that moment extremely moving. There are other I think excellent moments uh from this episode. Katie, did you have uh, a particular favorite?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I really loved hearing I mean, loved is maybe the wrong word, but I was fascinated by Adnan's account of what it was like to sort of work his way through the criminal justice system and sort of the sense of how surreal it was to be interrogated. And I guess there was this one moment that, you know, he he just seemed like this teenage boy who thought he was invincible and he was saying, all right, well, you know, I need to get home so that I can write this annotated bibliography, this book report for school. And the officer says... You're not going home. And
3: did you get it? You didn't, think, sure he, you it, didn't think he meant you're, you're never going home. You know, you have to, I mean, it, it's probably, it's impossible for you or anyone else who hasn't been through
1: this to understand. To be a 17-year-old kid in this situation with no experience with the, with the system, no experience with any of this stuff, it's very difficult to believe in the early stages that this is actually what's happening. This must be just some huge mistake. Yeah, I agree Kate. I thought that was another great moment. And it actually for me it, it there's a connection here between the the moment that Willis singled out and the one you did and also the one that that I'll highlight in a second, which is that the show is probably best at isolating these these brief vignettes or stories or moments that bring a a person into view in a way. I mean that that moment hearing from Uh, from Hay's mother you can feel her pain and that moment when you you hear Adnan saying I I had this I got this report to finish you 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 remember that he's a 17 year old Uh, yeah and
0: he thinks he's invulnerable he thinks oh this kind of thing couldn't really be happening to me I'm, I'm about to resume business as usual
1: yeah, even the fact that it was an annotated bibliography yeah. was just such a high school assignment that, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. For me, the moment that, uh, that did the same thing was actually uh, from the first part when, uh, when Koenig was talking to Laura about Best Buy and, and, she, and Laura says, no, there's definitely not a phone there. <laughs> and then the reason uh, that, 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 that she knows, it just just kind of killed me.
3: Laura says she knows this because she used to go to that Best Buy a lot from the time it opened through 98 into 99 with her family and without her family.
0: And I used to,
1: you know, I don't know, steal CDs from there all the time. So I was pretty aware
3: of, like, what was around. You're saying you would shoplift CDs? Yeah. Sorry, but... Um, I mean, like, is i don 't have the CDs <laughs> <laughs>
1: i just I, that just brought her to life uh, for me in 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 such a distinct way, and you know obviously in terms of the Innocence or or guilt or non, it, it's it's really not important that 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 Laura knows this because she used to steal CDs. Although it does make her testimony so reliable. <laughs> yes, oh,
2: that's the funniest thing is like she shoplifted and therefore I know she knows. Like it's like the the juxtaposition of this thing that like would make her a bad witness except makes her a great witness.
1: Right, and it's also just I you know I I I, I did not shoplift CDs when I was in high school, but I knew kids who did, yeah. and it's you know. It just, it just, suddenly she became so vivid, and I felt the same way last week. Uh, hearing about Jay, whatever you think about um, whether what we heard was illuminating with regard to the case, he just came to life for me as a person. And I think that this show and these producers do that really well.
0: Yeah, and also just this huge gap starts to open up between sort of regular human foibles and imperfections and just the crazy reality of actually killing someone. I mean, these little misdemeanors whenever they get into, oh, this guy's kind of a liar, like Jay sometimes spins stories and, you know, this woman once shoplifted or did a few times or a lot – it just, the contrast between that and murder also feels really powerful to me.
1: Yeah, and you know, well, that, that brings me back to what you were saying before about whether Sarah Koenig believes that she can figure out whether someone, you know, did something by talking to him for hours and hours. Maybe that's true, but I, I also think she's just really interested in people in this way, and it is really hard to accept that someone you can have you know, long, long conversations with over over months and who can seem like such an ordinary guy um, could have done this awful thing. Right.
2: I think when I say believe, right, it's exactly like the whole show is this tension between this thing she believes with her heart kind of mm-hmm. like that, that you could know. And then the facts that she knows with her head, which is just probably <laughs> I can't know. Like she obviously doesn't think, you know, she's aware of, <laughs> of the facts of the case and, and the complete mysteriousness of some of these details but she's fighting it out right? Yeah. I-
0: Can we also talk a little bit about how at some point she sort of she starts sidestepping that to sort of create a sense of closure for this, for Adnan for and to say you know but he has his routine in jail, he's adapted like that to me felt like a really strange move to sort of try to bring almost an end to the story and to say but if this is the resting point that's okay, because he's got his cooking club, and he's got his side business. What did you guys think of that?
1: That's an interesting point. You know, I, I was thinking about where we're expecting this story to go from here. And that's been something we've returned to again and again, because this is such an unusual story format, this true story, and we don't know exactly what shape it's going to take. I was looking back at the episodes so far, and it seems like basically you have, here's this murder that happened and a conviction. The first three or four episodes, Complicated that story made you think wait this conviction might have been wrong there are inconsistencies you know um, there's this alibi etc. Um, ever since then there was a shift that happened where the last several episodes have kind of pushed you in one camp or another right? There's the case against Anand Syed and then we hear from Jay and you know we're kind of shifting back and forth over these last few episodes which to me is just a way of sustaining that uncertainty. Mm. Um, I got the sense from the way they set up next the next episode, which is in two weeks, um, that it would finally be the one about the attorney. Um, that, that seemed to be implied. And we've been waiting for that one for a long time. And that will, you know, cast some doubt perhaps on the conviction, but I don't see how but it changes you? what we think right. about the actual Murder. It, it
2: will do. I think we know what that episode will do. Right. Which is that it will mm-hmm. be like she was a lousy defense attorney and he had bad defense and they made a bad a bunch of bad decisions. And maybe we have some insight into why. But like in a way we even though we don't have the details of it and there's questions and you know lawyers have questions and people have questions it's like we actually know what that means.
0: Right. This is just going to be turning up outrage this next episode. People, I just, I expect, I listen to this show on my walk to work and sometimes I sort of try to imagine how many other people with their headphones plugged in are also listening to Serial, feeling all the feelings. And I imagine that I will just be outraged walking down the street surrounded by outraged people listening to Serial.
1: Well, we will find out, Katie, (laughs) in, in two weeks. As I mentioned before, we'll be back next week. I want to thank Willa Paskin for joining us this week. Thanks, Willa.
0: Thank
2: you.
1: And thanks as always, Katie. Thanks. Tell us what you think of this spoiler special by emailing us at podcasts at com. Our producer is Joel Meyer. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Katie Waldman and Willa Paskin, I'm David Hagland. Talk to you next week.